Okay. Alex, alcoholic. Alex. I, guess, I guess I'm up, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, let me put this on a timer here. Uh, two hours, right? No, I just didn't. <laughs> two hours, I'll be in bed. <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is Alex, and I am an alcoholic. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, just to be uh, totally honest with you here, um, uh, during uh, a certain period of my time of being sober, I hadn't had a sponsor. And uh, I was going from men that I would thought that could really give me guidance, like in my my 30 years, 35 years, so on. And and uh, I happened to be going to, uh, I moved to Diamond Bar from Huntington Park, because um, I come out of the hole in the ground. Uh, the actual meeting that started in 1942, I believe. Um, and uh, so when I moved to Diamond Bar, uh, Shortly after that, in 85, I started attending a meeting at the little schoolhouse on Diamond Bar Boulevard, and uh, Ron Seeker, and Larry Wolf, and John D, and uh, a bunch of other, uh, Wayne Rowe, and Fernando, um, they were making that meeting, so I started connecting with, uh, back in, uh, with AA, and then, uh, so, it's been a long time since uh, I, I had a sponsor. My sponsor, my first sponsor, passed away. His name was uh, Danny, and he passed away 14 years into my sobriety. And the reason that I'm getting to this is that uh, the importance of sponsorship. And uh, so I got to know Ron over the years, and I got to know uh, uh, his son. And um, and so I had to ask Ron, you know, right away. And uh, but I always was connecting with Ron periodically. And about going on about five years now, Ron, uh, you know, I was really, uh, I was really settled on trying to get a hold of a sponsor now because I'm, I'm coming on, I'm coming on 38 years sober, and I know that I need that that relationship, that manly, godly relationship. And so uh, one day um, I came up to Ron and I, I said, you know, Ron, I go, I need a sponsor over at the men's uh, Wednesday night chino. Uh, uh, stag meeting and uh, and he goes well he goes man you you've been sober what 30 some years now he goes you know why do you need a sponsor now I go well you know Ron I go it's because the accountability I go I've, I've seen men and women with time go out and and go go back go back into their old habits and matter of fact I had knew this one guy and we were real close friends he had 35 years sober I was at the Dawn Patrol early morning meeting at 6.45, mm -hmm. and uh, this guy with 35 years stood up right in front of me, raised his hand as a newcomer, and it just about blew me out of my seat. I go, I couldn't believe it. And so uh, I motioned to him, and he looked at me, because we were pretty close, and um, he says, I I I'll talk to you after the meeting. Well, it never, the conversation never came about, because during the meeting, he, he left. He was so embarrassed that he just left. And that, you know, I believe that God works in certain ways so to get me on track. Because I have so much uh, responsibility to a wife, three daughters, a Down syndrome son, and now I have three beautiful granddaughters. Uh, no, two granddaughters. I better get this right. Even though my wife's not here, I better get this right. Uh, two beautiful uh, granddaughters, uh, which is uh, my six-year-old. She's uh, Amelia and my eight my coming on nine months old um she's uh gonna be uh ava there you go partner there you go and uh my uh, grandson abraham so i have a lot to be accountable to I, a responsibility and accountability so that's what i felt uh you know um that i needed that that accountability and so then uh i told ron i go that's what i need is because the accountability and in, in my sobriety and in my relationship with God and also with another human being that I can be honest with. And so Ron goes, okay, he goes, that's what I want to hear. He goes, I'll be your sponsor. So he's been my sponsor now for about five years. And, and in that relationship, I feel safe because Ron and I, uh, you know, um, we've uh, become close and, uh, and, and he's really a good friend. And uh, I got to know his wife, Dorothy. And um, so, you know, uh, you know, coming into the program, I was 26 years old, and uh, 
you know, take all the worst parts of your relationships in marriage or in relationships, take them and put them together, and then I won't have to go into the past and tell you about it. Because that's what it was for me. And that's what it was for this young lady who I got married to at, uh, she was 19, I was 23, and by the time we were four years married, I ran her, I ran her worse than any railroad could run over and wreck on a track. And I just, I just ran her, I just ran her wild and ran her, she was fed up. You know, by the time, uh, I remember being at a bar with my brothers and we're shooting pool and we're just having a good time. And, um, um, and we're having this good time, me and my brothers, and I've already done a lot of damage in my relationship with her. But I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking, I I'm good, I'm okay. You know, she's kind of like enjoying this, you know, uh, my craziness. And so one day she walks into the back door of this bar where me and my brothers are playing pool. And uh, my older brother, Frank, tells me, he goes, hey, he goes, uh, what's Maggie doing here? And I go, well, I don't know. He goes, well, why don't you go over and find out? So I stopped what I was doing. I walked over to her. My wife's name is Maggie. And I told her, hey, what's going on? And uh, she looked me right in the face. She stood up and looked me right in the face. And she goes, if you think for a moment that I'm going to live like this for the next 30, 40 years, she goes, you have something else coming. And you know what? <laughs> At 26 years old, I had no clue. I, 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 I was having a good time. I was doing what I was taught to do as a kid and growing up, you know, was drinking, running, and just having a crazy time. And, uh, you know, um, so shortly after that, uh, things got worse. We ended up separating. We uh, almost were on the verge of a divorce. And, uh, you know, one thing about my wife, she was committed to this marriage. And she told me, look, Alex, I'll never divorce you. She goes, but... I will make something happen to where you'll want, where you'll want divorce to divorce me, and uh, so that kind of put me on edge, and uh, you know, and uh, so you know, um, I didn't get it. I, I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. You know, my young age, crazy, and so anyway, uh, through that separation, I started looking for some help, and uh, it's so funny how this program works and how God works through you to get to me to get the message that I am losing I'm, I'm losing on that battle and uh, the only way out was for me to surrender to get to that first step and to surrender and to find a God of my own understanding and uh, so you know um, what happened actually was uh, I started looking for help and uh, I ended up calling this, uh, this uh, psychiatrist's office in LA in Mid Wilshire and so they invited me down and uh, I went ahead and went down and uh, got there and I got a psych, a psych evaluation and the, uh, the psychiatrist and the doctor, they deemed me 50-51. Being an idiot, I, I had no idea. I go, I know that adds up to 101, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And they go, well, you came to us. We didn't go to you. You came to us. So we're going to have to lock you up for 72 hours. And uh, I go, lock me up where? And uh, they go, well, uh, you're going to find out real quick. And here comes in these two big fellas with a gurney in this office. And they strapped this straight jacket on me. And uh, being a wise guy, I told the one intern, I go, well, how do you know what size fits me? And he got those two straps and, and, he's, and he's made me snug tut like a, like a caterpillar. And uh, wow, you know. My, my attitude and my, my just who I was started changing. And it wasn't changing for good. I was actually getting pissed off. And, uh, but now I couldn't do nothing. I'm, I'm just cinched. And so these two guys, they picked me up, put me on this gurney, and they wheel me down the hall, take me to the ambulance. And I ended up over at Ingleside Mental Health Center for uh, 26 days. And so going through that, I, 26 years old, I had no idea. I said, man, I, I, what did I get myself into? I go, I was only looking for help, and this is not what I'm looking for. And uh, so anyway, the 26th day, and then uh, 
uh, after the 26th day, they tell me that they're going to let me out, that I'm doing better, and that I hadn't hurt my wife, I hadn't been verbally abusive, I hadn't gone to jail, I still had a job. So they were trying to get me to look at the positive of the 26 days of recovery. The, the key was that I didn't make any AA meetings, not one. It was all in-house stuff that they did. And uh, so when I got out, you know, my wife showed up and... Uh, and my wife, you know, she opened this door and there she is. And, uh, I, you know, and she goes, uh, well, they called me and they told me to come pick you up. She goes, I, I had no idea you were here. And uh, so she says, uh, are, are you coming home? And I go, wow, <laughs> I still have a home, you know. And so uh, I went ahead and we went home. And then um, the, the doctor and the psychiatrist suggested that uh, they gave me a phone number to central office downtown. And they said, look, call this number and uh, see if they can get you some directions to your first AA meeting. So then I called central office as soon as I got home and uh, I suited up, showed up. I got on my best clothes and I made that phone call. And then they gave me the directions to the whole of the ground in Huntington Park. And that same night, I made my very first uh, AA meeting. And uh, it's so funny at the hole in the ground because when you go there and you're new, they ask you, what's your name at the stairs? Cause you walk downstairs uh, or they used to, it's not there anymore. And uh, so they, they, you walk downstairs. So as soon as I walk through the stairs, they say, what's your name? I go, well, my name's Alex. And they go, okay. So they wrote it on a stick and put it on my shirt and they go, go downstairs, sit in the first row and you have nothing to say. Just sit there and wait. And that was my very first meeting at 26 years old into this program. I had no idea what was going on. You know, um, so there lo and behold starts my sobriety. And uh, shortly after that, within a few months, this uh, older gentleman, a lot older than me, uh, around his late 50s, he always kept a point to sit by me. And his name was Danny Ramirez. I can break his hand in a minute. He's passed away now. But uh, he became my temporary sponsor and then actually became my sponsor for the 14 years into my sobriety. And then he passed away. And the thing about Danny was that uh, he had some real issues going on. And I shared with uh, Ron before that how he used to walk around with this little brown paper bag. And one day I got so upset, I go, man, what's in that paper bag you always carry with you? He goes, well, you wanna see? He goes, and he pulls it out and there's two jars of baby food. And I go, well, what's that? He goes, Alex, this is all I can eat. That's it. He goes, I've done so many drugs and so much toxic stuff that it, it thinned the line of my stomach and that's all my stomach can tolerate. He goes, this is what I eat three times a day. He goes, this is lunch and that's dinner. And I goes, and he goes, Alex, you continue doing what you're doing and you keep going back out, which I thank God and I, and I just so blessed that God that I, I depended on him and I never, I never went back out. But um, he was a really good sponsor. You know, uh, one thing that he did really impress on me was that he used to tell me, he goes, Alex, I, I, I hope you go out. I hope you go back out, Alex. He goes, because man, you got a good looking wife. And he goes, and man, you know what? He goes, if you go out, Alex, I'm gonna go right after her. He goes, not only is she pretty and she's young, she goes, but she's got a job. And man, he used to, he used to tell me stuff that would just rile me. And uh, you know, and what he was telling me was, Alex, if you don't straighten up and you don't go the way that God is directing you and the direction I'm trying to help you with, he goes, someone else is going to be with that woman and it's not going to be you. And I really love my wife. And this was a real struggle for me at 26 years old to start. But I thank God that I'm here today. I'm blessed. I'm blessed that you're out here tonight. And I hope that uh, God is revealing to you what it is that you're looking for in these meetings because it's here you know the first step my sponsor tells me the first step is the only one that you can work 100 percent and i thank god for that that i learned that when i got here and the others i'm still working on them i never want to finish i want to continue on because i know that god has more for me to do so thank you and uh we will have our speaker ron s Ron S. Ron S. <laughs> All right, Ron. <laughs>
Thank you, sir. Right, thank you. My name is Ron Seeker, and I'm an alcoholic. Ron. And uh, one thing, I wish everyone a happy birthday, and uh, thanks to our chef back there. He did a nice job in the food. You know? All right. Oh yeah. And uh, cake wasn't too shabby either. Yeah. But anyway, uh, uh, Alex has uh, been a good friend and, and a easy guy to sponsor. You know, Les was, <clears throat> and happy birthday to you, Les. And and we uh, we had another birthday show up, and uh, I think he was either he's humble or he's used to running late, but he's not used to. It was Bob H. It's his birthday. He's just celebrated 37 years. Yeah. Raise your hand, Bob. Yeah. To you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Bob, happy birthday to you, keep coming back. Don't be late next time. I'm sorry. If you had nine grandkids over from Texas, you would be late too. That's your excuses. <laughs> you know, uh, Les and, and uh, Alex and Bob, they, they, uh, they talk about their, their, their kids and grandkids. That's the first thing uh, that Les mentioned to me about when, when I got here. And Alex talks about his grandkids constantly. He's with them all the time. And Bob is the same way. He says, I mean, how would you like to be around nine little kids all at the same time? <laughs> I'd, I'd go, ooh, <laughs> you know. But anyway, that's me. He said he's got more patience than a doctor. But anyway, uh, you know, I get a I get a Christmas card every year from a guy I used to play golf with. He moved back to South Carolina. His name is Bob Lamberton, and he sends me a Chris, uh, Christmas card every year. And he goes into uh, he sends a letter actually, and uh, I can't I don't under, his writing I don't understand what he's saying most of the time because he that's the way his head works he's very intelligent and he just gets gets far out with the English language and uh, anyway one thing I it resonated with me yesterday when I got his letter Christmas card he talked about uh, happy tra um, happy voyage to us travelers and I he says he says the same thing every year and I'm thinking that's kind of stupid, but you know what? If you think about it, aren't we all travelers? We're traveling together. And the, and the, and the uh, program talks about unity, traveling together, you know? And, uh, and I thought it kind of resonated with me and it kind of hits home because that's what we do. It's like John Keefe used to say, no man is an island, but takes a group. It's part of our, our logo, it's part of our tradition is, is, uh, is uh, um, unity, you know? And he used to talk about no man is an island. That's true, you know. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, I'll share a little bit about what it used to be like and what happened and what I'm like today. Hi there. So uh, anyway, what it used to be like, I was, uh, from the earliest age I remember, I was uh, I was turning eight years old and my I have came from a family of six sisters and two brothers, and, and I was the youngest out of all. And my sister came in, one of my sisters came in, she said, we're not gonna have a birthday party for you today, Ron. And I said, why not? He said, mom died today and on my birthday. And I go, wow. And that kind of like, uh, it was devastating to me, you know, just uh, cause my mom and me, she used to, she treated me like a mother, you know? And so after that, I was, uh, uh, I was like, uh, I just was kind of lost, you know, for a long time. And uh, my eldest sister was going to University of Nebraska and she dropped out of school to come and raise us kids that weren't old enough to take care of ourselves. And half of them, there was about three or four gone and her name was Evelyn and Evelyn developed a drinking habit and uh, a bad drinking habit. 
I know you're not supposed to say anybody's an alcoholic, but she's a full-blown alcoholic. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I've, I saw her in her later drinking, sitting on a bar stool with urine dripping off the end of her skirt, you know. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's pretty uh, devastating. That's, uh, you know, uh, so anyway, Evelyn was, uh, was, was, she was downright mean. And uh, Evelyn used to beat me every day, you know, and uh, seemingly for no reason at all. And most of the time it was for no reason at all. And um, she felt that she was doing the best job she could, but it was a bad effing job, you know. And uh, so I used to pray at night that she would die. And uh, so nothing happened. And I always had a God that I believed in. Like our book says, it's a fundamental idea in every man, woman, or child, a fundamental idea of a God, you know. And so, um, so then I started praying that I would die because nothing happened to her. Well, eventually Evelyn, uh, Evelyn did die. She, you know, she was a pretty lady and she wound up on Skid Row, drowned in her own puke, I guess, and she was 38 years old. That's the end result of alcoholism, which we learned here in AA. The end result of alcoholism is insanity and death. And she pursued it into the gates of death, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I, through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I've been able to forgive Evelyn because, like I said, she was an alcoholic, you know, just like we are. And, and our behaviors, you know, it depends on how you, if it was inflicted on you or other people, but it's the behavior in general. Les talked about that when I first started talking to Les and I, he said about his behavior changing, you know. And they're talking about him and Alex and, and, and Mike and, and a lot of other people talked about, and Bob, they talk about their family. And, and that's the way, you know, <clears throat> uh, it sounds like oxymoron, but, but the, the thing with me, and maybe maybe you, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, it sounds like an oxymoron, like I said, it, it has nothing to do with drinking with me. It, it has, uh, it, it got me in the door of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, after that, it's, a, it's an entirely different uh, program for me. I went to my first meeting in 1963, and I was, uh, I was about uh, around 20, in my early 20s, 22 or something like that. And, um, and I was, it was my job. I took alcoholics at the time, winos, to a meeting. It was part of my job. This guy that had a van and he owned a place called Rose Gardens. It was in Ontario. And uh, uh, he would, he housed these alcoholics in, in his home. It's a recovery house, just like they have today. The only thing is, these guys got hold of a bottle of wine or something and uh, they caught his house on fire and it burned it to the ground. So that was the end of Rose Gardens, you know. So anyway, but of course, when I took him to meetings, it didn't, you know, it didn't apply to me because I was, I was not an alcoholic, I thought. You know, I was just in, you know, 22 years old and you're in a, you know, you're doing your thing. Who's, a, um, you know, I, I, I resented the fact that anybody would even apply that I was an alcoholic. Well, I was married. I married, I married my high school sweetheart. And she, the, I was, after my episode with Evelyn, I was, I liked girls, but I was kind of intimidated by them. And I used to hide behind the, the, my locker at school, in high school. And I used to see her, the, her walk by. And I thought, God, she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So I got enough nerve to talk to her one day. And she uh, kind of, after knowing her a little while, um, she asked me to fix her up with the, with the uh, High, high school quarterback on the football team. So he was a good friend of mine. His name was Lowell Kaler, and uh, he wound up playing in the Super Bowl, and I wound up at AA. But anyway, <laughs> but I wound up with with the lady, and uh, we were married. And uh, she was a uh, she was a professional skater, and uh, I used to go to the rink and watch her work out. She skated with a force and they'd won the United States and Canadian Championship like three years in a row. And I used to watch this guy twirl her from the small of her back and throw her out. She would glide across the floor. 
And uh, this guy was, he was probably about over six feet tall and blonde hair. And and, uh, and I thought to myself, you know, I could skate like that if I wanted to. But I don't want to wear all those damn sequins on my clothes, you know. As the truth of the matter, I was like a shadow boxer, you know. I, talk, I was always, I'll tell you what I will do, you know. Nothing ever happened. But anyway, uh, so they were going to build a, a rink in Las Vegas and they invited her to be instruct small children or, or age uh, skating age so they could so she could possibly change them for a prospect to, to skate in the Olympics and I didn't think that was too good of an idea I didn't think that was much of a career <laughs> so I brought her to uh, California and uh, I had family that were barbers and in the hair business so I thought that's what I want to do I want to come to California and be another Sebring in Hollywood and do hair fashions and that sort of thing and and uh, so that was uh, that was in 1963 and uh, my drinking progressed in 1964 uh, she took a part a little part-time job working and sending me through barber college and so I could uh, train for my career. And uh, <clears throat> she worked in this little neighborhood, little Mexican uh, place. It was, uh, they have, they, they serve food and and, uh, and she was a very, very pretty lady. And um, so she was working there and I said, well, you know, work it for a while until I get squared away and then, uh, then we could pursue our, our life. So she was in there working and they had a couple pool tables in this little place and my brother, we worked at Sunkist. I worked at Sunkist too. And, and then that's where they make the orange juice and process oranges and stuff. And she worked and he worked at Sunkist as well. He was a, uh, a diesel mechanic, my brother. He was shooting pool over here on a table with guys that he worked with. And I was shooting pool and, and another table. And I had a, I had a pool room for a short time back in Ohio, and I thought that I'd perfected my game like Willie Moscone, you know, but I found that other people in California could shoot pool as well. So anyway, this, uh, I got in a pool game with this guy. We had so, a little bit of an altercation, not a fight, but uh, I told him that gambling was against the law in California, that he had to return my money. <laughs> I knew better than that because I was, I was a street person, you know. He gave my money back and he left. And uh, about, I don't know, it seemed like a little while later, maybe an hour later, he came back and somebody said, Ron, here, here, here they come. He came back and he had like three other guys with him. And uh, one guy walked up to, went over to the table where my brother was shooting pool. I don't know why he went over to that table. My brother, my both my brothers were over six feet tall, weighed about 200 pounds and, and uh, so I don't know why he went over to that table, but anyway, he uh, he took a swing at my brother. My brother knocked him to the to the floor, and he and he pulled himself up on the pool table, and he pulled a gun out of his out of his waistband, it was a 45, and he shot my brother point blank. And my brother, like I said, the size of it, they just blew his feet straight up in the air and he landed on his back. And my wife went over there. at that time. They had pay phones, and she went over to call the paramedics or police. And, and uh, the, the phone, she put a coin in the phone and he, the gunman told her, said, hang the phone up. And she put the phone back and she started walking from where I was at about maybe, you know, maybe 30 feet away. And the gunman turned around and, and shot her right between the eyes, the 45. She died 18 hours later and, uh, no, my brother died 18 hours later and she died no, my brother died a week later. She died 18 hours later. And so that was, uh, and we had a, we had a little boy at the time. And so uh, <clears throat> that left me with the little boy and, and myself. So I, I moved in with a, a sister, uh, which is a very lovely sister. She was, uh, she was, she just, uh, she cared for people. She would take care of people, you know, off the streets. And uh, so, uh, so then my life really turned upside down. Instead of you think that would be enough for me to quit drinking, it just progressed my drinking. 
it, it uh, I started, and um, I'll just tell you briefly about what the trouble I got into. Um, I was, uh, I was planned an armed robbery, and it was supposed to be at six o'clock in the morning, and I had to get out of jail first. I was in LA County Jail. I had to get out of there to, because I had to get out before six because the robbery was coming down at six o'clock. Well, I made it. So I, I did the robbery, and, and, and what I did not know, it was set up. What I did not know, the person that I was robbing, I said, I, I told a guy that set it up, I said, you want me to fire off a round or two in their place? He said, no, he said, you might be, you might shoot my girlfriend. So anyway, uh, what I did not know, the place was filled with, with, with uh, LA County or San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. And when I, when I left, I left with a lot of money, two bags full of money. And when I walked outside, it lit up. It lit up like uh, Disneyland, you know. They had they had infrared guns, so they could shoot you at nighttime. You know, they could see see you at nighttime. And uh, they slammed me against the wall, and it was a white wall. And it said above my head, it was around Halloween time. It said, "Trick or treat." And, and uh, I still have the article. It's in a it's in the front page of the newspaper. It's like this big with letter two inch letters, you know. And I'm going, oh man. So that wasn't, that was just the uh, beginning, you know? And I thought, you know, what I need to do is, uh, I, need, I need money is what I need. You know, I thought money would bring happiness. And uh, so uh, uh, I, got, I got my license and started, started, I got a nice styling shop and started doing, you know, had, had to set up and did hairstyling and everything and then about that time the long hair trend came in you know and every, everybody you know so that that shot that in the can so I tried to uh, I tried Tenny Bar for a while and then uh, I, I got a uh, I started a, uh, a marijuana farm in the flight pattern of uh, the airport I thought that no small plane could see us from up there, and so I would go undiscovered, and I did. But uh, then I got into the pornography business, and I got busted for that. They took my state license for a while. And then then I was standing in front of the judge one morning, and I figured uh, I'm going to tell him about my problem with, with my life. Maybe you have some sympathy for, for me. and. Uh, I took God with me to court, and I took a couple reds that morning. They, not, they weren't dry. they were they were prescription though, so don't classify me as an addict. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so I prayed to God, and uh, and the judge sentenced me and God both to, for since five to fifteen years of state penitentiary. Uh, my knees kind of buckled, and red was getting wearing off, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I did. I wound up doing uh, some time, but not that much time. And uh, so those those are just some of the things that I that I that I pursued, you know. It was, and at the time, growing marijuana, I, I went to prison for a long time for that. And pornography pornography was definitely against the law. I had done a long time for that. Now I guess marijuana is legal and. Pornography is legal too, I guess. So, anyway, back then it was not, and uh, so anyway, anyway, uh, I, I I went continued drinking and and uh, and uh, I'll tell you what the, the the last the last day of my of my barber shop and my styling shop, I was so drunk, and I used to tell the guys if you work here, no drinking during business hours. Because and so I started drinking at, at nighttime every day and and, uh, and I was working on this customer and uh, I was so drunk I couldn't finish working on it and I had to, to take the, the guy next to me to to finish the, the job on the guy's haircut. That was my last day. I just walked away from that from that business. It was uh, you know I had I put like several lot several thousand dollars into the business remodeling the shop and. Anyway, so I started Tenny Bar, and uh, 
with for, for a matter of fact he's a he's a friend that brought me to the AA meeting that I got sober at June the 1st of 1977 and it was a men's stag at 1022 West 2nd Street remember that and um, and so um, I was uh, at the time I, I'd gotten out of jail and I and I was drinking I started drinking again the first stop I made was where to a liquor store and I, I, I was remarried at that time. And uh, matter of fact, I've been, I've been married. If, if I make it till August, we'd be married for 55 years. All right. And I have a very lovely wife and mostly because of her. She happens to be a Bible student for the last 70 years. And uh, she's, uh, she does, she's not haughty about it. She just, she lives it, you know? These guys, these, some of these guys in here know my wife and they can vouch for that. They, She's just a beautiful lady, you know, because she wouldn't have put up with my shit for like 10 or 11 years before I got, before I got sober, you know. So the day that I got sober, it was, uh, I was, um, I, I was, I'd like to say I was struck sober because I was. And I, I'll tell you something, right? I have no doubt, Alex talks about it, I have no doubt how I got sober. God intervened with my life. I'm not a Bible student, but a God intervened with my life because what's to say? No human power could have relieved my alcohol that God could and would if he were sought. And so it was a series of things happened that day. My wife, after putting up my stuff, she was going to leave that day. But she was afraid because she didn't know what I would do because I was wacko, you know. I was, you know, I've done some crazy shit in my life. And uh, so anyway, uh, the guy that owned the bar came by and, and I hadn't seen him for a while. We used to get, we used to get drunk together and we go look for his car the next day. Then we wind up getting drunk again and go look at look the next day. So anyway, he, uh, he came by and he told my wife, he said, I'm gonna come by tonight and pick Ronnie up and take him to a meeting. She said, he won't go. Cause I was back at Wally's. The guy lived in a little bachelor park behind me. And we used to, I used to go back there every morning, discuss everything from numerology to nookie. Usually have all the answers to all the worldly affairs and everything. And he was good at rolling a joint. He would tap on that cigar box and he'd roll a joint, look like a tailor-made cigar. And I'd try it like he did. And I'd have stems sticking out of the side and I'd, I'd light one up and pop and, and I was scared of hell of me. See the pop and get on my, my blue terry cloth bathrobe, you know. That was my daily dress attire. So anyway, he, he came by and... Uh, and I went to the I went to the meeting that night of uh, of June the first, nineteen seventy seven, and, and that's where I got sober. And uh, and Gary, the what I did not know is he he had been sober for like eighteen months, and I didn't know that. And then that, that he he just happened to stop by. That's like I said, it's a series of things that happened. And then I look I look at it today, and I know that that something intervened in my life. And it wasn't a doorknob, it wasn't, uh, you know, a judge, it wasn't, uh, you know, anything like that. It was God interviewing my life. God, as I understand God, the creator of this uh, planet we live on. That's the way I look at it. And so, anyway, uh, so that that night at the meeting, you know, uh, I was I was drunk, I was loaded, and I was sitting against the wall, and Carmen and John Keefe were sitting in front of me. And he said, he said, don't light a match within 15 feet of that guy. He said his breath might ignite and blow the roof off this building. <laughs> I was a little sensitive when I first got here, you know. And uh, so anyway, when I when I left um, that meeting that night, I got a, I think they gave me a big book. I went home and I, and I read it the next day. I said, I told my wife, I said, look, look, look at that. Read this, read it. She said, Ronnie, I already read the big book. She said, besides that, I know all your actions. She said, I was sober when you were acting that way at all. <laughs> so anyway, um, um, uh, I have been sober ever since that, that meeting. And uh, as a matter of fact, the men's stag I go to in, in Chino, that, that meeting was patterned after the meeting I got sober at on 2nd Street. That was a, um, so I went, I went down there and they had a, there was guys come from Big Bear and the mountains and, and, and uh, 
set in Orange County and they were coming to me. They, some of them ride motorcycles. Matter of fact, they parked their motorcycles out front and across the street, there was a black church and there was, they'd sing gospel music. And, and I, I like that gospel music. I used to sit out there, I like it today, you know? But I, I, like their, I like their rhythm and the beat. I like their, you know, their talented. So anyway, guys that had, had his motorcycle running out in front of the Ben Stag there and, and, and Bill came out and he said, hey, he said, what's that? He said, what's that? He motor's running. He said, what's that right there? And he took his finger off. And it was a, uh, it was a, the cover was off of the, the sprocket, the, you know, that turns the chain and caught his finger there and cut his finger off. And uh, he came back and they didn't have any sympathy. They told him the next time he came in next week, they told him he looked better without that finger, you know. <laughs> Guys can be cold, man. So, so anyway, uh, anyway, I, I just I fell in love with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, almost almost immediately, and then uh, and then I started uh, I started working. I eventually got a uh, I applied for a contractor's license, uh, and um, they said you can't have a we can't we can't give you a contractor's license because of your past record i said look i'm gonna do contractor work with a license or without a license what are you going to do come down next to roller tracks to pomona and and and, and uh you know pick up my couch with the spring sticking through it re repo it or something what are you going to do to me send me to jail so anyway after a while they they let me have my contractor's license i got a contractor's license and started off started off in the in the asphalt business I, I was going around in a trunk of a in a trunk of my car I had a five gallon bucket with a bucket of tar in there in a house broom and the driver's side was was caved in on all the sides and I had a, I had a coat hanger between the back upright and, the, and to hold the door shut so when I pull up to a, someone's house to try and solicit some you know a seal coating for the driveway I'd park of course on the passenger side where it looked like it looked like a nice car but if they went around the other side the whole side of it was wiped out you know that's when they used to have uh, freeway fences remember that chain lane fences well, i got a little bit too close to it and uh anyway um so i started off and, and i and i was scared you know i weighed 125 pounds with bottom green bile and blood and i could not stop drinking you know, Les talked about that. He was he was in the same type of shape as I believe as me, and I could not stop. And uh, so I was I was scared. So I'd I'd go up and and take my house broom and tell them to paint it on their driveway and our asphalt driveway. And then I would then I would go to the Triangle Club and I'd, I'd charge them like twenty five dollars for that. You know, I I take twenty five dollars. I go to the Triangle Club to a noon meeting. Go. They can't get me here, you know, because I was scared, you know, and uh, and and so uh, anyway, that's how I wound up in AA, and uh, and uh, you know, um, you know, you learn like like uh, friends. Mr. Horak came over to my house today, and and I have a show truck that my son, that I twelve step, twenty four years ago. He just had a birthday. He called me up when. One night he said, uh, he said, Dad, I said, who is this? He said, this is Michael. I said, what do you want, Mike? He said, I think I need your program. I took him to the Sunday morning rebounders meeting and uh, he'd been sober ever since he got involved with, with AA and his Betis Gallon AA, she, they married and she was the chairperson of the Southern California Convention a couple years ago. Michael participated and he still participated participate in it you know and uh and he uh i had a when i finally went into the construction business i had a um after i got rid of my oldsmobile took that five gallon bucket and put it in a truck uh i had a i had a, a pickup truck and it was red with a white top and uh and i used to tell michael i said michael you know i could fix this truck up i could do this with this truck and that with that truck and about five years ago, he remembered that after 20, 25 years, he found his truck up in Sacramento and had a truck down here. And uh, uh, and he worked on it, him and a car builder worked on it for about over a year. 
and he came up and, and uh, he drove up my house the day that he finished it. He just finished it. He came up to my house and, and my other my other two daughters were here. One, one of them, uh, but anyway, uh, I said, Michael, so where'd you get that truck? And he, and he handed me the keys and said, happy birthday, Dad. Right. Hmm. So anyway, uh, we have, my wife and me have a total of five kids. And my, we had the, the, the oldest boy, his mother is the one that was murdered. He's, uh, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's a lot of people in AA know him. He's a, uh, He's a good guy, but he's, uh, he, it's everybody else's fault, not his, you know? And uh, he said, I've cleaned up my side of the street. You have to clean up your side. I said, I don't have anything to clean up with you, buddy. The only thing I've ever done to you is I told you no. And so anyway, I just, all I can do is pray for him, you know? And his, uh, his brother, the, the, the wife I'm married to now, her, her son, He's running my company. He took over my company. He's running it, and he's doing quite well at it. And then I have a daughter um, that is a. Uh, she lives up north. I showed her. She's a. Uh, she's a school nurse, and she's a, a bodybuilder, and uh, she took second in the state of California in her division. And then I have a, another daughter that is uh, one of the managers for. Uh, Fetch your wine, they're uh, Joseph Felcher. They're, they're a, a real high-end winery up in, up in Napa Valley. And uh, I, I mean, big time, they're like billion dollar companies. And so she, they have a, they have a, you don't go up there and just go in and taste their wine. You have to make an appointment to taste their wine. Their cheapest wine is like 90, 90 bottles of, $90 a bottle. And then they, they have if they, they have a, a, a lunch for guests that's, that sign up for a, a you know a, a, a lunching and their lunches consist of a this would be like a fillet mignon dinner what we had nice compared to what they served they serve finger food up there and so her mom said well may, maybe dad and I will come up and have lunch with you at at the, at the vineyard up there and she said uh, I don't think so mom she said how come she said $500 a head for lunch. So yeah, I think you're right. We won't be there. But uh, anyway, they're, they're doing well. And my, my uh, daughter, is, like I said, she's a bodybuilder. She's a school nurse. She goes around the schools and examines little uh, small elementary kids ears and her eyes and stuff. And, and, uh, and so uh, they have a, a pretty, a, a, a pretty decent family. As a matter of fact, a very decent family. And uh, that's what we that's what we talk about. I was telling Les before the meeting. This guy used to come to Men's Stag, and he used to talk about his kids all the time. He said, "All oh, my kids, every week it was about his kids and his boys. I took him to Disneyland. I did this and that." And this guy came to me and said, "Ron, he says that, that's all he talks about is his kids." I said, "What else is there? You know, it's your family. That's what AA is about. Your family." I I boil it down to two things for me in AA. There's two things. Your fellow man, that means your family and everything, your fellow man and God. What else is there? A new set of dough, a new her, some new wheels. What else is there? You know, that's what I've, uh, I've convinced that uh, that's what AA is about. And uh, so anyway, I want to thank Les for inviting me over here. And, uh, and thank you for being here. And thanks for, where's our chef at? Where is he? Carlo. Thank you very much. And thank you all for being here. God bless. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Lucky. Let's give Ron and Alex a hand for a good meeting. And Carlo, your consistency at the cooking that food is amazing. And uh, uh, Fernando and, and, and everybody that contributes, we want to give you a hand too. And, uh, and I'm your grapevine rep. $58, cheap number.
give it, give it, give it to a recovery house, give it to an inmate, you know, give it to yourself, put it in your car. It's uh, I have this one here. What we do here is two yes, two years, $54. And uh, the, the heading on this one is the gift of gratitude. You know, gratitude is the, the salve that heals all wounds. You know, if I'm grateful, I don't, I don't have too much, too many things to worry about, you know. And what we do, we give it away here every week, and then you read it and then bring it back. I haven't gotten any back lately, but uh, is there anybody who wants to read this one on gratitude? There's a lot of good, a lot of good stories in here. Bob. All right, Bob. I owe you some. Well, that's I'll bring them back. Okay, you got to read them. I will. All right. I got to remember to bring them back. Yeah. Give me a favor here. Why don't you... We need some help cleaning out up, and so help Fernando uh, carry this stuff to his truck. And if you want to get involved in this meeting, come see me or, or Fernando. We, we always can use some help, you know. And uh, with that, hey, Bob, come on back here. Hold on now. And uh, you can read the promises and pray us out of here. How's that? Yeah, I think you can read. All right. Okay. <laughs> the promises. Hi, I'm Bob, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Bob. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook on life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. After a moment of silence, for those suffering in and out of these rooms, Zooms and parks, and the children and loved ones caught in the crossfire, please join me in this serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Happy birthday, Bob. Hi, bro. Good to see you. Uh, I left her at home. Yeah, she's all right. Hey, I was going to tell you. Uh, no, she'd lose our family, but she's still so nice. She's got like 